Hello, I'm James King and welcome to Cinema Stories, the programme that doesn't just celebrate films, it's about the whole film-going experience. From the chic to the shabby, from the intimate to the IMAX. Each week my guest tells me about three cinemas that have moulded their movie-going. With me this week is someone I've known for over 25 years, Oof. Stephen Merchant. Uh. Now he's a multi-award winning writer, director, actor and comedian. Back when we first met, he was just another university fresher with a love of movies and music and a massive poster of Betty Boo. The iconic <laughs> TV show The Office was his breakthrough and since then he's directed De Niro in an episode of Extras, appeared as an albino mutant alongside Hugh Jackman in Logan and lost a swan in Hot Fuzz. His recent film, Fighting With My Family, starring Florence Pugh, Nick Frost and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, was a number one hit at the UK box office. Steve, welcome. Thank you for having me. Has it really been that long? It really, I know, it's weird. I had to work it out today. Well, it's not weird, it's depressing. <laughs> yeah, depressing. Yeah, it's scary. Because I still feel like that, <laughs> that fresh-faced fresher who's got the whole world ahead of him. Well, I think one of the things that we both of us have tried to maintain is that level of sort of existence for as long as possible. Yeah, trying to avoid any kind of... Commitment? Uh, yes, uh, any real um, responsibility. I mean, not sort of, you know, I, I take great responsibility when I'm sort of directing or, or writing, but nowhere else in my life <laughs> do I take any semblance of responsibility <laughs> in terms of... of you know, I don't, for instance, raise a small child. No, me, I don't raise neither. a child of any age. Yeah, I don't have. I don't even have house plants. I got a couple of plants which um, my cleaning lady looks after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so far, so good. <laughs> um, I remember that you were one of the the first people I knew to get a massive plasma TV. Mm. Uh, this is like the early noughties, and you'd watch yes. you'd watch the West Wing on it. I'd watch reruns of Bullseye. Um, so, <laughs> really but, making full use of that. Uh, absolutely, you want to see? It was. Well, how big was it? Thirty. It, it, well, at the time, it seemed massive. It seemed big, didn't but it? I yeah. guess since then, I mean, the, the, the technology has changed so fast. But I'm wondering whether going out to the cinema is still a thing for you, or are we now in a world where actually it's just so easy to watch stuff at home? Um. Well, firstly, when I wired up that giant TV for the first time, um, I remember uh, as I was trying to get the channels working, the first thing that came on was um, Bargain Hunt with David Dickinson. (laughs) And his tan nearly burned my eyeballs out. It was unbelievable on that screen. Um, And that was, uh, you know, one of the reasons I bought that was because I I wanted the big screen experience as best I could at home. In fact, I bought a sort of surround, basic surround sound system as well. And so the, the cinema experience, the being in a dark place with a big screen, phones off, um, in silence, enjoying the film, has always been something that I've been very excited by and that I've tried to recreate in all kinds of ways. Ever since I think I first went to the pictures, the first film I seem to remember was, I think I was very young and I went went to see Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. But I don't really remember. I sort of remember in fragments. And then, but the one that really won me over because I remember we literally queued around the block was with my uncle to watch E.T. Yeah. And that was, I think, the moment where it kind of... Because, you know, it was exciting because we had to line up to get tickets, you yeah. know, and we went in and, and, the, and seeing, the, seeing the trailers for the first time and the anticipation of the film because you'd heard so much about it. And even as, you know, however old I was... Um, well, how old would I have been? It was 82, wasn't it? So it was about, eight, seven. about eight. Yeah. So, you know, I was just kind of aware enough... 
you know, to, to really look forward to it and have anticipation for it. And I don't think that has ever worn off. And um, ha- obviously when you make a movie, let's say Fighting With My Family, you make it, you absolutely cross every T, dot every I to make sure that it's going to be perfect in a cinema. But you know that at some point it's going to be watched out on a phone somewhere. Well, yes. Um, how do you kind of deal with that as a filmmaker uh, a deal and accept that, that that's going to happen? Well, I think, you know, if I'm making a film for the cinema, um, that's my chief priority. I don't think really about what happens when it's going to be on the phone or the telly. I'm only thinking about this cinema experience. Uh, and to that end, you know, we're very scrupulous with the sound and, you know, the visual effects. I mean, Fighting With My Family does not on the surface appear to be a big visual effects movie. But as you know, even in modern, almost in any film now, there is some kind of visual effects work um which you know which you can kind of get away with a slightly shoddy job on tv but in the cinema world you you know you really will spot if it looks phony or fake um and as i say the sound i take great care over that's very important to me and i and it's exciting to me the the cinema sound experience that's the way it sort of envelops you and and so i i you have to think like that because if you're trying to think also with one ear and eye on tv you're framing the film differently. You're you're conscious that uh, people are going to be trying to do the ironing while they're watching it or checking their phone, all that stuff. And so I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this film is because there's a, such a there's a different kind of pleasure I think about being in a giant room watching a film with other people, yeah. particularly one that's got humor in it and sharing the laughs. And, you know, even sharing the thrills or the tears or whatever you can generate in an audience. There's something about that shared experience which is is very unique. And I hope that's the reason people still go to the cinema and don't just watch things at home. So we travel back to Bristol, your hometown, for your first cinema choice. Yes. uh, Which is The Watershed. Yes, The Watershed uh, was and remains, um, I would suppose, the sort of premier art cinema in Bristol. And I started going there I think with my friend Matt I, I I my father was always a big movie nut but was also quite cheap and quite stingy <laughs> and would therefore not take us to the cinema very yeah often. is he so, still like that yes right um I'm hard pushed to get him to go out to the pictures even if I'm offering to pay I think he went to see fight with my family I'm not entirely sure um in the cinema but um so we watched a lot of films at home and I kind of grew a love of films that way and then I when I started to get a little bit of money you know my you know mid-teens I could go to the cinema and I would go to the the mainstream cinemas to see the mainstream movies and then in my late teens uh, my friend Matt sort of introduced me to this this second world of picture going right the kind of art cinema experience yeah. and that opened up a whole new a whole new world <laughs> um that was that was sort of very thrilling to me because that's not something we'd really watched at home. We hadn't done a lot of sort of art cinema and a lot yeah. of subtitled films with my dad. I think maybe we watched Ashes and Diamonds once, right? Remember? Yeah, that Polish film, but yeah. at home, which is odd. I can't quite imagine my dad and I sitting down to Christmas watch Day all around yeah. the telly, <laughs> exactly. But um, but yes, yeah, so I remember that, and that was a great period because that was the early nineties. So that was a great period. I remember seeing Reservoir Dogs there. And the early Cohen Brothers films like um, Miller's Crossing and um, Barton Fink. I think I saw some of the Three Colors, mm. Kislowski. Like, and then I would see I would, then Matt and I would often go and see 
almost anything that was playing. So we <clears throat> remember we went to see a version of The Trial with Kyle MacLachlan. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember we didn't find it very good. And we, were c- we were cackling with laughter. And there were other sort of art cinema patrons sort of tutting at us. And we thought, oh, yeah, rebels. A couple of rebels I here. remember I went there with you to see Six Degrees of Separation. Ah, uh, which okay, is a great yeah. movie, actually. Yes. And um, for me, you know, countryside, country bumpkin, I just I couldn't believe how cosmopolitan it all felt. Well, that's the amazing thing. And, 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 and actually, you know, Bristol now is very cosmopolitan and is very um, expensive coffee and, and reappropriated, you know, warehouse space and whatever else. But then in Bristol, yes, it had its kind of cooler scene, but you had to sort of search that out a little bit more. And, and the watershed was sort of... I suppose that my first introduction to that alternative side of Bristol, um, and you know, and it was the you know, and, they, and and you'd go in there and it had the kind of cafe, you know, and there wasn't it wasn't sort of popcorn. It was if it was popcorn, it was that fancy sort of artisan popcorn, you know, that's that's sort of in a bag, expensive, yeah. like eight quid, even in nineteen ninety. Last time I went there, I had a lovely risotto. That's it, exactly. Yeah. It served risottos. It, it was cappuccinos. It was probably uh, some kind of lemon drizzle cake. You know, it was not like the the the, the usual. Uh, cinema experience and do you think because this is mid 90s we're talking about do mm. you think that the Bristol music scene which of course was massive at that point with Massive Attack and yes. Portishead down the road and bands like that tricky um, do you think that was uh, made Bristol a kind of exciting buzzy place to be and grow up in well I think it was in retrospect but I think at the time I didn't appreciate it enough um, because I don't know about you, but I sort of there was a part of me that wanted to get out of Bristol and spread my wings and go to London and, and try and get into comedy and movies and entertainment. And so I think I felt Bristol felt a bit claustrophobic because I'd grown up there, and I think I was foolish in a way. I sort of didn't appreciate so much of what was going on, and I actually go back look back now and I sort of regret that slightly, like that I wasn't hanging out with Tricky and uh, Porter's Head. Um, although why a kind of seventeen-year-old or sixteen-year-old was just would just be hanging out with them, I don't know. But um, yeah, so and so now when I go back, I, I kind of appreciate Bristol more. And have you been to any events or or sort of been there as Steve Merchant, the film director at the Watershed? I'm trying to think. I feel like I might. They must have invited you back, or for some reason, mustn't they? I. I can't remember. I remember. I, I remember. I remember that you would sometimes have. Com- I feel like they sometimes have comedy there because I'm sure I saw. I'm sure I saw Eddie Izzard there. Yeah. Do comedy? Does that seem right? God, I don't know. Maybe it's all in the same complex. But um, no, I don't feel like I've been asked back for a Q and A, which obviously had, is my dream. They've just had a slapstick festival there. Actually, well, that I would often. Yeah. I often have gone to the slapstick festival, comedy, the slapstick comedy festival, which actually uh, inhabits a number of venues in yeah. Bristol, and that's really great, actually, because uh, again, going with my father, I can actually drag him out for that, and they will show uh, you know classic silent comedy with an orchestra on the big screen, and that's really thrilling, and and it's really. You know, I, I for a while now I've wondered. I mean, I'd love to try and do something with kind of physical comedy in that way because you know you watch like that old Buster Keaton stuff, and whether or not you th- you find it funny, which I do, but if you even if you don't, there's such an amazing physicality to it that is unparalleled now because mm. you know it's not stunt work, yeah, and you know when he's jumping between two buildings, he really is, or you know grabbing hold of a passing car and then just being dragged along the street. I mean, it's sort of it's kind of extraordinary, and that is something that's gone from movies. That there's a lot of amazing physical stuff, but you know it's either CGI or it's 
carefully worked out stunt work. You know, you, you yeah. did that. Just these kind of gung-ho people just throwing themselves around for entertainment's sake. is is There's something very exhilarating about watching that, even if it is almost 100 years old. Speaking of that, one of the big draws at this year's Slapstick Festival was a, a, an onstage reunion of Little and Large. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Good. Yes. I, yes. I didn't think they're even speaking with each no, other. No, I'm but, glad you know. to see they've patched so up whatever differences they have. You know, there's Buster Keaton, there's Harold Lloyd. I think the, the goodies were there and everything. Yeah. yeah. And Little and, and Large. Little and Large. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah, Locals, no, aren't they? Are they? I don't Ed, know. Well, well I remember, the, I think Eddie, Eddie Large, yeah. uh, which I believe is his, his, his God-given name, um, was was certainly had, an, had a house in the neighbourhood, as yeah. I recall. Yeah. We'll move on to your next cinema, which is another Bristol cinema yes. in a second. But first of all, producer Phil has a few um, observations he'd like to run past you. Okay. Think of me, depending on your generation. So I'm either like the sidekick Simon or one of the Richards, Digens or Stilgo. Oh, all so right. That's sort of my role in all this. Okay. And I had quite a lot of time on my hands this week. So I looked up some of your social media hmm. and I noticed on the 20th of December 2017, yes. you tweeted and said... Well, that's done. Thanks to the casting crew who worked on fighting with my family. Stay tuned for updates. Yes. And then I was thinking, well, hang on. The film's actually only just come out. Yes. 27th of February in the UK. That's right. And so to get it from wrap to release took 403 days. Yes. That's quite a long time. Yes. Um, so bearing that in well, mind... yes, go on. Oh, Sorry, no, no, carry on, yes. Well, I've had that time on my hands. I've done a bit of number crunching, really. Mm. Um, had a look at some of the things that you could have done with that time. Oh, wow. And you let me know which one you prefer here, Stephen. Um, so you could have sailed solo around the world eight and a bit times. Could I? Well, some guy called Thomas Colville did. He did it once in 49 days, three hours. Around the world? I know. Okay. Right. Yeah, no, fair enough, yeah. Uh, you could have sat through almost 101 entire editions of Crufts. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Four, day, four days. That's good to know, actually, because I do have um, a lot of old episodes of the Crufts final on my uh, DVR you know, system. So I really ought to get, I ought to plunge back into them. No spoilers. Yeah, I just, I, I can't wait to find out who won in 2012. <laughs> Or you've had time to watch the full three series of Mrs. Brown's Boys. Yes. 1,151 times. That is what I did. That is, is what I did with my time. <laughs> yeah. And since we're on the subject, um, the only series of Life is Short, six episodes and the Christmas special. Yeah. Life's too short, but yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. That went well, didn't it? Yeah. Good. Yeah. If, you, if, if you're going to slag a man off, at least get the name of the <laughs> show right. But go yeah, on. Quite right. Too. That would have been 2,583 times. Blimey. Okay. Yeah. I know. For our more middle-class listeners, it's enough time for one-and-a-half basement conversion projects. <laughs> um, and finally, instead of making a Hollywood blockbuster, which arguably you have done, you could have watched an Hollywood blockbuster. Needless to say, I'm thinking of Weekend at Bernie's. Actually. 6,014 times. Goodness me. Wow, it does seem a, lo- a long time. Yes. I mean, in my defence, I wasn't just sat staring at the wall <laughs> in that time. But I take your point. I take your point. Yes, it was a long Period. Well, the film, the film uh, was, fin- you know, obviously you, you finish your principal photography, then you do a lot of editing, then you do a lot of post-production, um, and then you have to, you're then at sort of the, 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 the behest of the money men in terms of when they want to release the movie. And when you have a smaller film like ours, uh, you, th- th- they, they are very anxious about trying to find a slot in the packed you know, cinema release schedule where you're not going to get crushed 
by one of the Marvel films or one of the big, you know, awards contenders. And so I think originally they were going to put it out last September and then there were some other movies that came along that they thought would... Uh, I remember at some p- one point, actually, it was, it was when that new Predator film was going to get released, The Predator. And I actually, I don't know who it was, I actually heard someone say, this is the kind of nonsense that studio people will say. Someone actually said, well, you don't want to go up against The Predator because that'll take your Hispanics. What? Like... Is that a known fact that, that Hispanic people love the Predator? <laughs> I'd love to know what census they were looking I at. I mean, I don't know. It's just people will just say this stuff. And you're just supposed to go, oh, I guess I guess they know what they're talking about. But that does sound like quite a nerve-wracking time. James, I know you've got a few thoughts on this. Well, I mean, they chose the right date, obviously, didn't they? Well, in the end, they they they, they chose quite smartly. Although, I th- as I recall, the, the Predator wasn't, wasn't a huge smash. No, so actually, perhaps yeah. that could have been a good window. Yeah. But then, of course, you know, then you... Ca- I mean, now, as you know, the, the, the movie calendar is very dense, well, particularly in America, because you have, you know, there's the summer blockbusters and then that kind of, it's hard to go up against those. And then you get to the sort of awards season and they put up those kind of big awards contenders. And, you know, it's very tough to find a slot. I actually think we probably have watched Weekend at Bernie's over a thousand times. Probably. Thank you for that, Phil. We'll move on to choice number two, which, uh, as I said earlier, again, is in Bristol. This is the showcase. Well, one of the showcases. I think there are a couple in Bristol. Which one are we talking about? This is the... I th- Avon Meads? This is the Avon Meads uh, right, showcase. Okay, yeah. And, again, go- also going with uh, my friend Matt. And um, we didn't have a car... And we couldn't, uh, I think, maybe, I don't think he could drive. I I think I could drive, I didn't have a car. And so we would have to take kind of a couple of buses and then we'd have to walk down a dual carriageway (laughs) at great personal risk to get to that cinema. So it was sort of still, it was still the biggest and closest. So is it like in a business park? It's in a kind of business park and um, you could go bowling if yeah. you want nearby, uh, you could uh, enjoy your. We probably, you know, hang out at TGI Fridays, yeah, know, for a snack, and then uh, go in the showcase. And the reason we used to go there is because it was it was the first, <clears throat> as I recall, in in Bristol of the kind of what felt like the American sort of multi-screened cinemas. You know what I mean? And it had and it had probably uh, eight screens or more, and um, so there was quite the selection there. And uh, yeah, we would go quite religiously to that. And uh, that was sort of the more the more traditional mainstream stuff. I was such a regular there that I would often com- I would complain about if I didn't feel the projection was good enough. I remember during Men in Black, there was a um, there was sort of a, there was some scratches or dots or something on the on the uh, yeah. on the film, which I completely threw me off because I couldn't enjoy that film uh, because of that. And I actually went to complain to the manager, and he gave me um, a, a whole ream of free tickets. Which I was pretty smug about, <laughs> but yes, I mean, I would often, I can many instances because I don't know whether that was the beginning of sort of digital projection or whether there was just a sort of old man at the back who didn't give a shit. But yeah. um, certainly, there was quite a lot of sloppy projection because I remember, <laughs> like sometimes, off quite frequently, the sound and picture wouldn't yeah. tally. I think that's that's I'm sure or, that's, be, or be soft focus. Yeah, for like the whole first that, reel that did seem to happen more. I remember Goodwill Hunting. There was about a ten minute section that was silent. And I'm thinking, who is in the booth? You know, what are they right. doing? Why didn't they notice? But also, that you'd be amazed how often you're the only person who seems to find it <laughs> yeah, an issue. You're watching a film that's completely out of focus, and everyone else is just like, oh, oh good, this will be fine. But I think also because when we were both film students, we would have to project films. That's as well. right. That's so right. we did actually, I mean, albeit on a 16 millimeter projector, we kind of learned the craft a little bit. Well, we did. Know? But also, I mean, even if we hadn't done that, I think if I can't see Clint Eastwood's face yeah. very well, um, then I'm, I know something's amiss. Yeah. 
you know, and if his voice, and if when he speaks, he sounds like Meryl Streep and vice versa, then I know something's wrong with the Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> well, we watched, the, I think we watched The Searchers and someone was projecting it, a fellow student. Um, and it has one of the most famous final shots right. in movie history of John Wayne sort of walking out of the saloon doors out into the, you know, the wilderness. And it just burnt. Oh, no. <laughs> you just, yeah. uh, you know, because I, yeah. I say that we learned the craft. We didn't learn we didn't it that really. well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did set fire to quite a lot of films. Yeah. Um, I, well, see, the other reason that I chose the showcase was because that was an important uh, venue when I transitioned from being the high school movie fan uh, to the uh, film critic. Yep. I was doing some film reviewing for a local What's On magazine uh, called Venue Magazine, which was kind of a bit like Time Out, sort of listings and uh, reviews and uh, what's on in the neighborhood. And... Um, and I uh, got a job there, and the main senior film critic would go and see all the really good stuff, and he would send me to see yep. stuff he wasn't interested in. And occasionally I would see some gems, but I remember the showcase hosted this big uh, weekend, a weekend just for the, all the critics from across the West Country. And so we all gathered, it was like three days, and that was the first time I got like a goodie bag, <laughs> you know, with a mug and a hat. And... Um, now, can you pinpoint the date? Because I'm trying to think. I remember the films that were there included uh, uh, Lost Highway. Right. Yeah, this was 97. Full Monty. Right. Oh, yeah. Swingers. It's the summer 97. Summer 97. And um, I remember Private Parts, the Howard Stern yeah. film, because I remember there was some kind of live link-up with Howard Stern's radio show in New York, and we could ask questions, and it was live wow. on his show. And I asked him a question about... I think which was his favourite member of the royal family. And he said, oh, that Prince Charles, I'd like to bend him over a chair. I remember it was being unnecessary. It was, like, it was just graphic and rude yeah. without, with no purpose or meaning. Yeah. But what's so weird is that all of the Howard Stern shows are archived now and they get occasionally, they, they are repeated on serious digital radio in the States. And so every so often... Like you'll hear that thing and my voice asking a question, which is very, very strange. And so, you do you hear it, or do people people t- will t- tweet I'll get you a tweet go, or something? I oh, just right. you on. So that you go, yeah, it's Stephen Merchant here from Venue Magazine. I would assume so. I can't remember. Amazing. I don't know, but yeah, I would assume that was one. But anyway, that was uh, that was um, yeah. There was some good films there. I remember no one else seemed to like Lost Highway except me, which I thought was very annoying because it's now regarded as one of Lynch's best. And and would you um, would you want to? work in Bristol, make a movie in Bristol, or, you know? Uh, I've actually been working on a TV project idea, which I've set in Bristol. Yeah. So... Um, which would be the first thing you've set there, right? Yeah, it's a great it's a great city to film in. I've just never had the opportunity before, or the right project, but um, it would be great because it's it's very, um, it's very visual, Bristol. You know, it's, it's, it's got, it's got, um, you know, buildings and houses from, you know, back in the day. It's got, you know, to, to sort of post-war stuff and modern stuff you know it's got the suspension bridge that it's just it's got lots of really cool interesting areas and angles and you know there's 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 uh, there's water and there's what well, there's water but you know what i mean like it's just it's just yeah. got kind of everything and it and it and it's i mean there's a reason why casualty shot there for many years i mean there's many places you could have a, a fake accident yeah um and so uh yeah i would like to shoot there it'd be great it'd be terrific yeah and also there's you know loads of talented people and and um you know it'd be great to do that so for your final choice we move from your hometown of bristol to well i guess it's your new hometown really isn't it of los angeles yeah, uh, and well, a very famous cinema in LA. 
the Arclight Cinema, which I chose partly uh, to show off, but <laughs> but partly as well because I just thought it was fun to talk about being in Hollywood, watching movies in yeah. Hollywood. And the Arclight in particular is sort of the Hollywood cinema, really. It's it's aside from the uh, you know the ones where they have the movie premieres. It's the sort of go-to everyday cinema. It's the one where you will see other movie people, you know, waiting in line for a ticket. Um, it's the one where you, the stars of directors of movies will show up, you know, unannounced. I was there once, I think, watching 21 Jump Street and Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum just breezed in, you know, and just said hi to the yeah. audience. Um, they have these <clears throat> ushers. Uh, who will come in and kind of, I would imagine many of them are sort of aspiring filmmakers, so they'll come in, they'll do a little introduction to the film, and they'll, and, and there's, a re- there's a real respect for the films, and, 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 the, and the turning off of the phones, and, the, and they're treating them with respect, and they're, again, they're well projected, and there's, there's a, just a general um, <clears throat> respect and appreciation for the films they're showing that, that is very um, appealing, I think, to a movie and lover. This is the place that has the dome, right? The Cinerama this Dome. This has the Cinerama Dome where periodically they will show, you know, um, Cinerama movies or or I think they showed, I remember they showed 2001. Yeah. You know, big, big widescreen kind of epics like that. I mean, there's only a handful of Cinerama films, but they will, they will show those big... So that, that was the original place in the 60s and then they've That's updated right. it since then. That's right. And then they will show, you know, um, you know, uh, other big... Big blockbusters, um, but so yes, so it's just, and, and then they'll often have displays in the lobby of costumes from recent films that they're screening, and uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just, um, there's something very exciting to a movie nerd to have gone from Bristol to Hollywood and to have, you know, made films and and to have had a film sh- show there, and and and. So you, so did find it with my family show? It's it, there. The I haven't, I haven't yeah. seen it because I haven't been there to watch it in that particular cinema but yes it was there and they're proud of that and again people will tweet with a little arc like you know ticket stub that they're showing me they're supporting me so um yeah I just it's just um kind of exciting really to be to be among the movie people themselves watching films so when you started spending a lot of time in LA which I guess was maybe about 10 years ago now right um what were the kind of the strangest things for you as someone who'd been in in Bristol and Coventry and 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 London going over to Los Angeles? What were the things you had to get used to in terms of lifestyle? I mean, initially I went there to work. And so, um, you know, you're thrust into things and that keeps you busy. Um, But what you quickly realise is that when you're not working, um, it's not like New York or London or somewhere where you can kind of just wander the streets and you just pop in a bar. It, It feels a lot more, you know, everyone's in their cars and you discover over time that actually really where the action is is sort of behind closed doors and people are having dinner parties and get-togethers and and things like that and that's mm. sort of and so it's, it's quite a lonely city I, mean, I suppose any city is in a way but that one in particular it's very lonely until you start to plug yourself in to the community there and what's exciting about it is that if you are a movie nut you know every not everyone but it seems like everybody is in that business or is yeah. trying to get in that business and so there are people there with a far more dense knowledge an appreciation of movies than I'll ever have. I mean, they just, they live and breathe it. It's exciting to be able to talk about it. It's, I mean, I remember being in a hotel there uh, once and, a, and the waiter brought me my room service and a script he'd written <laughs> on, on, the, on the same tray. And, um, and you know, you obviously, you, you know, initially when you go there, it's exciting because you, you'll see <clears throat> uh, film stars or you'll see famous directors. Um, and, 
even perhaps even more thrilling, you'll see locations you recognise. Yeah. I mean, I actually rented a house there and then discovered that very house had featured um, in Rebel Without a Cause with James yeah. Dean. And just something exciting about feeling that James Dean had, had breathed that same uh, air, that same toxic, smog-filled air. <laughs> what's the etiquette then? If Because it is so full of movie stars, what's the etiquette if you see a movie star? you meant to just be blasé and ignore them? Or um, are you meant to go, oh my God, wow, Tom, you're amazing? Or are people no, so I used think people to it? Are, they... No, people are very respectful of them. They, they, they don't... I mean, they obviously, you know, there's quite a lot of sort of rarefied environments in LA that are sort of accommodating those people. The, yeah. the, the exclusive restaurants and the, and the um, exclusive hotels and things where, you know, you, they'll go for drinks and food and it's much harder to, to bother them. Yeah. Um, but no, I think generally, you know, people are respectful. I think also it's not um, as uncommon a sight. I mean, I think you know the, the 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 tour buses that travel around trying to spot celebs almost always are in the wrong places. Yeah. You've, I mean, they'd be very lucky if they stumbled across anyone. Uh, I remember. I don't think I've ever gone up to anyone sort of unsolicited. I did. I was once um, in a restaurant and I saw David Lynch. He was sat at the table next to me. and He was with some people, and then they got up to go to the bathroom or something and then he was left on his own and I did then I did just lean across and very quickly said Mr Lynch just want to tell you I'm an enormous fan of your work and that was it I just thought because yeah. I, th- I realised it's not really for him it's for me isn't it yeah. I mean I'm you know it, it's almost irrelevant what I said I just needed to yeah. Yes, splurge. I something. loved Lost Highway, but those other Bristol yes, critics exactly. yes, hated yeah. it. I saw Lost Highway free of charge because I was doing <laughs> film reviewing. Gave it a terrific review. You may want to pick up my coffee. <laughs> yeah. So um, yes. So yes. Um, but then I think well, also I think what happens quite quickly if you're working over there is it becomes like any other working environment, yeah. you know, and 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 the and the novelty and the thrill of oh, it's a movie star, wears off, because you quite quickly realise once you work with actors and film stars is that they're just like anyone else. Some of them are wankers. <laughs> some of them aren't, you know. Some of them are boring. Some of them aren't, you know. So then it just becomes sort of a little bit routine, really. Yeah. But the arc light always has that magic. It does, I think. It does. It's pretty, it's, it's like a listed building, isn't it? I mean, it has something extra special yeah, about it. Yeah, and it just... Yeah, I think I don't know what it is. I, I think again, like I say, the 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 it's not that it's the the it's not that it's the most beautiful cinema in the world, or necessarily even the comfiest. It's just you're in the heart of Hollywood and you're seeing films, you know, treated respectfully and watching them as they as as uh, as God or David Lynch intended. <laughs> so yeah. So we've been talking about the uh, ArcLight, which is in it's on Sunset Boulevard, actually, That's isn't right. it? In in Hollywood, in Los Angeles. Uh, and somewhere very similar, the showcase in Avon Meads in Bristol and uh, the watershed in Bristol as well. Stephen, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Our big love to the big man, Steve Merchant, recorded in his beautiful new house in an especially swanky part of London. Lovely pint in the pub next door afterwards as well. Fighting with my family, of course, is out to watch in the comfort of your own home right now. Highly recommended. Also highly recommended, checking us out on social media, at Cinema Stories Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Lovely arty picture of myself and Merchant waiting for you there, taken by producer Phil. Uh, And do get in touch, because I'd love to hear about your favourite cinemas too. Also, of course, don't forget to subscribe, to rate, to review, and to tell everyone you know about the podcast. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 